Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett, and I'm sitting here with Roy Blunt Jr., who you probably know from the game show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and from his many books. Roy, your latest book is a book called Alphabet Juice, which is kind of, a, I guess, a dictionary of your thoughts on interesting words. Yeah, but it has a thesis, which is that uh, people, when they talk about language, tend for some reason to overlook the uh, intrinsic value of letters and sounds and uh, the... Uh, Sounds of words. Uh, you, I heard you talking uh, recently, and you used, for instance, the word tick, meaning, uh, you know, a jerky movement. Sure. Uh, that's not onomatopoeia, but it has a kind of kinesthetic uh, aptness, I think. Also, the word articulate is, uh, you have to be articulate to say articulate. Each you of those consonants has to be crisp, right? Uh, you can mumble, mumble, but you can't, or you can <laughs> murmur, murmur, but you can't mumble articulate. And you call this being sonicky. A sonic-y, word is sonicky. Yeah. So it's something beyond automatopoeia. Yeah, it could be automatopoeia, but it also could just be uh, uh, kinesthetic, uh, the, the, what your mouth goes through uh, in uh, in producing the word. So do you think that the words adopt different behaviors in our mouths because of the, what the words mean, or is it the other way well, around? Well, I think it's chicken and the egg. Oh, no, uh-huh. Was that what I mean? Yeah, chicken sure. Egg, right. yeah. A little bit of both. We're, not, it's, it's circular, yeah. right? A little bit of feedback both ways? Yeah. I mean, words that uh, are expressive in sonic ways tend to uh, uh, win out in the evolution of language. They tend to be used more often. People enjoy using them, and uh, and they carry, a, but, you know, they carry a, an electrical power, uh, which I think of as... Alphabet juice, and um, I've always wanted to write a word book, but uh, I was reading an, a linguistics text the other day, or a while back, and it said uh, that the relationship between words and their meaning is arbitrary. Another word you used uh, recently was weaselly. Ah. Weaselly is... Uh, Sounds like the thing yeah, that it is, doesn't it? You wouldn't say... Uh, you know, uh, use the word... Uh, kittenly would never be negative. Kit- yeah, Weasel's right? not a kitten, no. <laughs> but a kitten is kind of cute. But, you know, so what you're saying here, and I sense this in the book, is that there's this kind of baggage or extra information that travels with words that we know instinctively as native English speakers, and yet the dictionaries, as good as they might be, don't necessarily impart that to us. There are more flags. There are more things to be said that well, pass along, right? Well, in definitions, they often go... It, it, if you go back to the uh, derivations and the, uh, the etymology of a word, they often say uh, echoic or uh, right. like the word cricket. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say it's imitative or echoic. And then also dictionaries will send you back. Uh, the American Heritage Dictionary, which is my favorite dictionary, uh, has this appendix in the back of uh, Indo-European roots, you know, and you'll look up the word, I don't know, some word, and it'll say C-bug or something. <laughs> right, right. It'll take you back there into that uh, 
uh, appendix where you find these early uh, uh, proto uh, uh, words that just have all this great sound to them. Right. And they've been incredibly productive. American Heritage does have some of the best etymologies, I think, in a mainstream dictionary. Yeah. And you sit on the usage panel, which yes, means that you, you're one of the people that, with a bunch of other people of your, your stature, you vote on mm-hmm. what the best kind of usage there is for modern English, right? You I try do. to give advice to the reader so that they yeah. can make the wise choices. They take a, uh, they will say 64% of the usage panel uh, disapproves of this. Uh, Have you ever been the odd man out on the panel? Uh, yeah. I sometimes am. Uh, I think that I'm in the minority on hopefully. I still hold out against hopefully, hopefully uh. just because it irritates me. It's, uh, I think you should, I think, you know, if, if um, you get a, a letter from L.L. L. Bean saying, hopefully this will reach you by Christmas, you don't know. I'd rather hear... <laughs> L.L. Bean saying, we hope it will uh, get, reach you by Christmas. Then you know at least maybe you're supposed to be hoping. You don't know who's hoping. Let me ask you, as, as someone who represents, uh, maybe I'm putting more on you than you want, Southern culture, would you say that, <laughs> would you say that it, particularly when you're in places that aren't Southern at all, that you are kind of seen as the guy who can talk about the South with some authority and some expertise, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably more than uh, I should be but seen you, that way. But, but I you, have talked about the South a lot and written about the South. Yeah. You, you, you wrote a book about walking through New Orleans, right? Yeah. And it sounded in, in, in an interview sense, and it sounded in that book as if, uh, this is a place that's special to you. Are you you spent some time there, I gather. Yeah, it's my favorite city to visit, and I lived there one one summer when I was just in, out of college, and I love New Orleans. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, the book's called "Feet on the Street: Rambles Through New Orleans." And uh, New Orleans is a great uh, place to listen to people talk. It's um, and it still has lots of people who are New Orleanians, even after Katrina. People have come back, and but they uh, haven't all returned, have they? No, they sure have not all. And so, the, and the interest, you know, the oyster shucking class, for instance, is uh, has a hard time finding a place to live. But uh, but still, it, it still has a lot of flavor and a lot of uh, a lot of linguistic flair. Do you find that dictionaries will represent those southernisms, those southern ways of speaking, those southern that vocabulary, those vowels? Do you find that the dictionaries really represent that properly? I mean, even American Heritage doesn't have that many dialect pronunciations in there. Uh, there are words like tump. Sure, it's tump, tump something over, right? Tump something over is uh, in the American Heritage. And it will lots of times they will say chiefly southern or chiefly uh, northern. But I think that uh, southerners tend to enjoy language and take pleasure in the orality of language uh, more perhaps than I think people in New York uh, I do think do. I think I'd buy that I think it might be due to some of the Scots Irish heritage which yeah. is a storytelling heritage mixture of African and Celtic and two different storytelling cultures kind of coming together right storytelling oral uh, and uh, not so much uh, respective of book learning, either one, you know, and, right. and drinking and uh, riding horses and things. It's a kind of, there's a kind of wildness in the South, also a kind of uh, prurience, and I mean, it's kind of uh, piety, obviously. But uh, it's sort of like Irish culture and Southern culture is similar in lots of ways, a mixture of uh, repression and wildness and uh, religion and uh, lyricism and uh, and that's why, you know, that's why rock and roll came from the South. And, I think uh, so, too. And I, I can see you have a fondness for that in your book. The book is Alphabet Juice, and we're talking with Roy Blunt, Jr. 
One of the things you mentioned on your bio on your website is that you, well, you don't use this word, but you went noodling in Illinois. Yeah, for catfish, right. Right, this is fishing by hand. You stick your hand under what? How does it work? It's supposed to be a hollow log, but actually it was a culvert pipe. But it was down under the water, and you reach in there. The catfish like to swim up in these pipes. Somebody stands at the other end so they can't back out, (laughs) and you reach in and and let the catfish bite down on your hand, and then you grab its (laughs) lower jaw and you pull it out and run a stringer through it. That's almost certain it. for bloody knuckles, though, right? Well, I wore a rubber glove. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, there you go. Know, I did it, uh, and they all did. Fortunately, my catfish did not weigh more than about 15 pounds, but some of them are huge, and you have to wrestle them, and the water's up to your chin. But, uh, you know, I felt like I deserved to eat that catfish. Well, I just want to ask you before we go, while I've got you here, you um, recently wrote an op-ed for the New York Times about – Amazon's new Kindle ebook reader, and well, it has this function where the books that are on it can be read aloud by a computerized voice. And you were arguing on behalf of the Authors Guild, of which you're the president, that this was an unfair performance. And Amazon, probably much to uh, many people's pleasure, agreed to make it an optional feature. What was your argument there? Did you feel? Well, the argument is we don't know. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways for authors not to make money on the internet. These You're days. telling me my yeah. book was just remained. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but um, it could be that uh, audio is going to replace print. We don't know. I mean, bookstores and book publishers are everything's up up for grabs up in the air these days. And so, anytime there's a something that resembles a rights grab by some uh, uh, impo- big Concern like Amazon, it's incumbent upon the Authors Guild to say, wait a minute, maybe this is something that, that authors ought to get a separate royalty. Because, you know, you get paid a royalty from the ebook aspect of the Kindle, but, you, but if they start adding, a, I mean, in effect, the Kindle to, uh, you know, you can listen to a whole book uh, on it. So, and so some people say, well, you wouldn't listen to a whole book. It's terrible. You didn't sound. On the other hand, people say they want it. So, it's an issue that needs to not just slip past us because someday uh, it, these recorded, uh, these computer voices are getting more and more sensitive and more and more sophisticated. And uh, They sound pretty good, don't they? Yeah, they, and um, people say, well, I wouldn't want to curl up and listen to uh, War and Peace on an electronic voice. I wouldn't either, but uh, <laughs> but there are books uh, I could think of that uh, probably sound just about as good as on an electronic voice as not. At any rate, it does seem to be infringing on uh, on a right of authors, and authors, uh, the occupation of being an author is a challenged one anyway, and so we felt we ought to uh, make the case that this should be uh, involve another royalty. The position of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which responded in a letter to the editor in the Times, was that if the text-to-speech function did constitute a performance, then it's a private performance and therefore covered under fair use. Well, I don't, why is it private? If you, I mean, it, people said, well, you must be against reading uh, bedtime stories no. to your children. I mean, people did say that. Yeah. But, so, but that's, that's a private performance. Right. But a device that uh, carries a... Uh, you know uh, that will, that people sell to you uh, partly because it will read to you seems to me not a private. But don't author contracts, and I'm not kind of arguing here, just a position yeah, to kind of a, figure it out. Don't author contracts tend to account for electronic rights and performance rights from the start? Isn't this isn't well, this something between the author and the publisher, and not the publisher and Amazon? Yeah, there are audio rights, and then there are like uh, ebook rights, and they're two different things. If you're selling both of those things in one device, then uh, 
you, you could charge an extra dollar for it. And, uh, you know. But it's not currently, this kind of thing isn't currently accounted for in typical author contracts. I think it is in the ones that I've signed and the ones that I've had, had signed. Well, it's account, as I say, no, you mean that one device would have Well, both? no, that I mean, no. that, that there always seem to be these clauses that account for electronic rights or account yeah. for performance rights. And it seems to me that this kind of thing would be covered under the rights that are typically outlined in a contract no. between the author and the publisher. There are, well, yeah, but there's, uh, and that's why publishers are beginning to say that they're not going to go along with this. Right. But audio rights are specified separately in contracts from ebook rights because people thought of ebooks as uh, things that downloaded text. You know? Right. And, there, and there's new things happening. Yeah, a lot of people had said that the Amazon Kindle is, in many ways, uh, just a good internet browsing tool and maybe even not for ebooks at all. So mm. there, we're seeing the merging of devices. And so, yeah. so the suggestion here is that the rights need to be explained more specifically. Yeah. And, 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 and if there's things happening there where money is due, then the money should be paid. There you go. That's our position. Well, the only thing I have to ask you about that is your, your, the first chapter of your book, Alphabet Juice, was published on the New York Times. I can read that on my yeah. computer here. I have, it, have my computer read it to me. How, does, right. how, does, how is that accounted for? I, I gave them that permission okay. so that they, it would help sell the book. And I bet so. it did. Well, probably. I don't know. Who knows what helps sell books? But. I'm here with Roy Blunt, Jr. His book is Alphabet Juice. This is almost a, a memoir. You've written your notes and your stories and the things that have occurred to you about interesting words and plays on language, a few anecdotes, mixed it up with some ideas about the way language ought to be and the way it is, yeah. and, and it's a great read. But. One thing that struck me was under the entry for Can Can, Cancun, and Coon Can, <laughs> you have an story about George Plimpton, which I'd never heard before, yeah. he had an interesting request for his memorial celebration. He specified that uh, uh, after he died, he would like to have for his memorial uh, can-can dancers with no pants. Uh, no underpants. No underpants. And yeah. did that happen? No. He had the can-can dancers, but uh, they had on pants. At least the one, maybe there was a private one, I don't know. It's probably illegal to <laughs> dance the can-can with no pants. <laughs> it probably is. I it mean, probably <laughs> happens here and there, but and, but I've never seen oh, it. I've been and, to a few bars where it's happened, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Roy, I want to thank you for talking to us today. Sure. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. To find out more about Roy's book, you can check us out on the discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. We'll also link to Roy's book, show you the first chapter, which is on the New York Times website, and we'll link you to his homepage. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you, Graham. On our website at waywardradio.org, you can find more minicast, news about language current events, and full episodes of our call-in show, all at no cost to you. For Away With Words, I'm Grant Barrett. Support for Away With Words comes from Random House, publisher of Origins of the Specious, Myths and Misconceptions of the English Language, by Patricia T. O'Connor and Stuart Kellerman. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.